I think most lawyers, where they lack is having that growth mindset. They get into a rut, they do whatever they've been doing, they think it's the proper way to, to do something, and they don't learn. They stop learning at some point. And that's where I think, if I were to pride myself on anything about myself, is that I'm constantly trying to improve, trying to do better. Welcome to the Tip the Scales podcast, where we discuss running and growing your law firm. I'm your host, Maria Monroy, president and co-founder of LawRank. Today, I am live with Shemek Lubecki. Today, we discuss the methods he uses to maintain a growth mindset in both his personal and professional life. We talk about when he was held in contempt, some of his wellness routines, and how competitive shooting has taught him some skills that transfer to the courtroom. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for talking to me. You're one of the first interviews that I'm doing. Not the first one, but one of the only ones where I don't know the person well. well so you should feel special. Sure, I do. Yeah. All right, so tell us your name, like your title, what firm you work at. Sure. Uh, so I'm Sean McLevecki. I mean, I work at Morris Bart's office in New Orleans. Uh, been there now for, it's hard to believe, but going on, this will be my 11th year. Wow. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, I started practicing in Chicago, uh, moved to New Orleans after seven and a half years of practice up there, and been there ever since. That's amazing. How many trials have you had? So it's a crazy number I because know. of because of where I practiced. So I mean, I've got over a hundred, probably one twenty, one thirty. Uh, I stopped. I never counted at my old firm, but eventually, when I added up sort of some of the jury verdict reporters and whatever else I had, it's well over uh, well over a hundred. That's crazy. And what have you learned? Oh man. Uh, well, you know what I learned is. I think the secret to some extent is in the reps that you do, like with anything else. Um, I do think that a defense case is a far easier case to try every time, no matter how complicated the case is, than even, I think, the simplest plaintiff's case. Uh, it took me a long time uh, after switching over to the plaintiff's side to sort of figure out the framework for how to try a plaintiff's case because I couldn't just necessarily reverse engineer what I was doing on the defense side. How long did you do defense? Seven and a half years in Chicago. Wow. Um, and then, you know, and that's where the great majority of my trial experience was, was doing defense work. Since I've switched to the plaintiff side, you know, if the volume of trial work is just a lot less. I think that's just the nature of the beast in Louisiana. And also, I think the, yeah. the cases are more complicated to try. If you're trying a lot of cases all the time as a plaintiff's lawyer, unless you're sort of specialized in that and have a firm that's keyed up towards that, it's difficult to do that. So repetition. Yeah, repetition. I think with anything. Uh, even, you know, like right now we're in Vegas, yeah. and we're, I'm doing training with Dan Ambrose and TLU, and that's a big message I think this weekend is – just getting the reps out there. Uh, there's no substitute for, for putting in the work. It's like the gym. A hundred percent, like the gym, like sport, like like anything. But I think it can be so motivating for a brand new lawyer that does want to try cases to hear, like, "Hey, it takes time to be really good at this." Instead of like, maybe they go, they try a case, it, you know, it doesn't go well, and now they're so unmotivated to 
try again. A hundred percent. There's that saying that, you know, some people have 20 years of experience and some people have one year of experience 20 times. So while experience is important, I think having a growth mindset, keeping your sort of feelers open for who is actually doing good work um, is more important than I think whatever your experiential background is in terms of just just years alone or even number of trials. Um, I think most lawyers, where they lack is having that growth mindset. They get into a rut, they do whatever they've been doing, they think it's the proper way to, to do something, and they don't learn. They stop learning at some point. And that's where I think if I were to pride myself on anything about myself is that I'm constantly trying to improve, trying to do better, whether it's family stuff, whether it's workout, whether it's trial work, anything. You're always kind of got to be looking to expand the horizon. Absolutely. No, I totally agree with you. What are some of the things that you do to learn? So I know right now you're taking Dan's, what is it, connection course? Yeah, Dan's connection course. I mean, we're covering over three, four days, we're covering uh, voir dire, uh, openings, and cross-examination. Uh, it is a completely sort of different perspective because it's not necessarily a focus on the words that are said during any of those <laughs> yeah. activities, yeah. Uh, but rather the feeling and message you convey non-verbally uh, to the jury. And so it is a completely, I don't want to say higher level, but it's a, it's a completely different angle in trial. And I think especially for somebody who already has a good level of trial experience, it it ha- you have to have, a I think, a place to put those pieces that, that Dan is teaching. And so I'm, I'm getting a ton out of it. That's amazing. What other things do you do to learn? And what have you done in the past, what, 18 years to learn and to grow? Well, I mean, I think there's no substitute for just the reps of actual trial and just forcing yourself to do it. I mean, my the first the firm I was with in Chicago, uh, Perlo O'Halloran, you know, they prided themselves on being a trial firm. I mean, they tried more cases in Illinois than any other firm any every single year. And so... Yeah, I tried my first jury trial the day after I was sworn in, and it was a BS, small little property damage only case with a six-man jury for for those cases. And while it seems it seemed annoying at the time to have to be putting in work on an inconsequential case, a low dollar amount, nobody cared about what the result was, except me, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But it was still you got a rep of picking a jury, a rep of opening, a rep of cross-examining somebody, a rep of closing, et cetera, under stress. So you have that, uh, you get stress inoculated to some degree doing that. And the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. Um, Though there's still times where, you know, you're not, when in Chicago, if I wasn't on trial for three weeks or a month, I would feel the rust next time I'm out there, right? Whereas now, I'm trying a case once a year if I'm lucky. In 2022, I tried two cases, and that was kind of a, <laughs> a big a busy, deal. <laughs> a busy year, right? Yeah. Um, and so I have to do other work on my own to stay relevant, to not be rusty. Otherwise, I would almost need to say, "Hey, I need a tune-up trial to be able to try a real case." And, and that's the the mode of the work and the volume that we have. It just doesn't work like that. So. 
you have to, I think, be searching for opportunities like this uh, to do the work as well as maybe just working on your own, which is what I'm planning on doing at leaving here uh, to, to get the relevant repetition of the material to be able to stay relatively sharp. And you also go to conferences, right? I do, yeah. So um, when I first moved to the plaintiff side, really I was, like when I tell you I was looking for a framework within which to try a case, I mean, I was searching because I could not just reverse engineer a burden of proof closing argument to fit all the pieces that I had to sort of fill to stay consistent and not be talking out of both sides of my mouth to the mm-hmm. jury. And so the first of that was was Don Keenan and Reptile, and I think it's, it's tremendous. Uh, it gave me a framework within which to structure the trial, what to focus on, uh, and how to stay consistent to the jury. Uh, the TLU conferences, I think, are more nuanced than that. They give you a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different lawyers who are trying cases in different states, you know, different jurisdictions, um, and have different styles. And so you can kind of hunt and peck for the pieces that you feel are missing in, in what you're doing or people that you can essentially just learn from and, and try to try to copy a little bit. Now, what have you learned working at such a large firm? How big is Morris Bart? Uh, you know, I think, you know, we're in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. And I think in total, I know we have over 100 lawyers. Yeah, that's big. It's huge. I mean, for a plaintiff's shop, yeah. I don't know that they get that big. Yeah. Other than I think the good thing about a firm, there's one person in charge. And so that's essentially there's no infighting and there's no people, you know, fleeing and stealing files and clients and, and things of that nature. So it's been a recipe for success for him, for sure. And what have you learned working there? I mean, 11 years. Uh, well, you know, so what I learned, uh, you know, obviously I've grown a lot, I think, as a lawyer, switching sides and, and doing, uh, you know, trials now on, on the plaintiff side. Um, as far as from what I've learned from working at a high-volume firm. Yes. Is that you don't necessarily have to be trying cases to be financially successful. Uh, there's a lot more that happens pre-suit than I was ever aware of working on the defense side. And I know that there's many firms across the country that are, I mean, juggernauts uh, in the area, and they're handling a lot of volume and selling a lot of cases uh, pre-suit. What I learned as far as my practice where I'm not handling pre-suit stuff is uh, there is a way, I think, to handle some volume, maybe more cases than somebody else would consider a healthy amount of cases to handle. But you have to have tremendous assistance. You have to have some some framework to catch your mistakes uh, so that you can focus on what's important at the time, not only be responding to urgent fires that are sort of unimportant to the actual case, but they might be important that day, whether to the client or to the firm or to some other, to the other side or, or what have you. I mean, you guys must have some crazy processes and procedures. I have to assume, I don't know. We do. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, there's essentially one person who is in charge of managing the lawyers and he has sort of lieutenants in the various, uh, areas of the firm 
that report to him, and there's a computer system that checks and uh, reports, I guess, uh, creates reports uh, for those individuals uh, at the farm. Nice. Now let's talk about your little hobby. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> my hobby is uh, competitive shooting. And competitive? So, yeah, so What when are you I, shooting? I mean, I know I'm assuming live animals, but what? No, 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 it's the, I don't hunt. Oh, you're not I hunting? I don't hunt, no, no, why no. Did, why did that come to my mind? Uh, I think most people think, associate uh, shooting with hunting, maybe. So what are you uh, shooting? Uh, targets, but it's action shooting, so it's... But are uh, they still, or are they moving? Some are moving, Some are, most are stationary, Um and so, I mean, I could I could show you a, a video or videos later on, but it's there's different disciplines that I shoot. So mm-hmm. when I moved again from Chicago to New Orleans, you know, Chicago was a very prohibitive uh, city and state at the time for firearms. And so when I moved to New Orleans, there were a lot of people coming back, sort of from GWAT and who had a lot of experience in firearms. And so I got some training, and then one thing led to another, and I decided to just, hey, I'm going to start doing some competitions around this uh, discipline. And so in a weird way, it I think once you get good at something, you can get good at anything. And I think the um, some of the same like processes and truths about what you're doing translate to other aspects of your life. And so like with shooting... You know, if you're process focused, if you're uh, focused on putting in the work, the results, the results take care of themselves. And it's no different at work. Interesting. I still, okay, but what does competitive mean like? Well, so I mean, so every uh, weekend there's a competition. Every weekend? Every weekend. What and do so, you win if you so win? So it's, uh, it's the USPSA, United States Practical Shooting Association. It's a national organization uh the other sport that i shoot is called the tactical games which is a two-gun sport which is rifle pistol with a very uh like a physical heavy um physical component whether running lifting whatever else uh some people call it like crossfit with guns essentially right? really yeah huh i've never heard about this yeah it's so uh tactical games was created by a guy who spent 20 years or 20 i think 27 years uh in the SF community, like Special Forces Delta. Mm -hmm. And he created a sport to sort of mimic some of the training that those guys um, are doing. And he, I started shooting it in 2018 and been doing that ever since. That's so cool. And what have you noticed, like the overlap between shooting and being a trial lawyer? Oh, man. I think the mental management aspect of it, I think, is more important and uh, it's just more important than almost anything else. So, for instance, uh, you know, being uh, having a strategy for whether the competition, the stage that you're about to shoot uh, or the particular match, um, having the skills and then having the confidence. So like the three different spheres of the performance, uh, and that translates to trial work. Like if you don't have the strategy based on past experience, past performance, knowing what works, what doesn't, what you're good at, what you're not good at, um, you're not gonna do as well as somebody who 
who has that background, let's say at, at a trial, right? Um, the skills are things that you can work on almost independent of the actual performance of the sport itself because you can go out to the range, you can train, you can dry fire, you can do a lot of different stuff to improve your skill set. No different than, let's say, me being in Vegas this week trying to work on my skill set, right? And then uh, the confidence aspect of it is a little bit more difficult to understand, but I think like with trial, if you are not confident in your skill set, I don't care if you have the best facts, I don't care if you practice the hell out of your opening or your closing, you will never perform up to the level that you earned uh, theoretically in the practice that you've done because you don't have the right mindset or the confidence. And so with, with shooting, confidence, as I understand it, comes down to essentially your past performance predicting your future success. And I apply that to trial all the time. And where I think I have the advantage over some other lawyers is that, I mean, I've tried some dog shit cases <laughs> uh, as a defense attorney. And I've eked out what we in Chicago called not NGs, not guilty, zero verdicts on cases that, you know, where you would think that there is no possible way of winning that. And so you can kind of go back to that backlog of the things you've done to say, listen, this isn't so bad. I'm going to stick with what I'm doing, stick with my process. It worked 5, 10, 15, 20 other times. It'll work again. And if you don't get derailed by the uh, particular circumstances of that one event, case, screw up, whatever you're doing, and you keep your eyes on the, on the process, the on result. The target. On the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the result sort of takes care of itself. Got it. It reminded me, the whole confidence thing reminded me of my cousin Vinny, where there's that lawyer that would go up and would stutter. Yes. And so he gets fired. <laughs> and he was like, but this is the best I've done. Yes. Or something yes. like that. Counselor, your statement, sir. Ladies and gentlemen of the... Of, 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 of the... We, we intend to prove that the prosecution's case is circumstantial and, 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 and. Oh. That's it. Mm. What about everything we talked about? Well, I get a little nervous. A little nervous. I'm getting better. Probably okay. the all-time greatest, most true-to-life movie about trial ever. I don't know of any movie that portrayed trial work better than My Cousin Vinny. Really? 100%. So Tell I, me one other movie that, that's better. I had watched it before, before I was in this space. And I watched it like three weeks ago. And I loved it. I was yeah. like, I can't believe lawyers are not posting about this yes. on social like constantly. Yes. Because there were so many things that you're just like dying laughing. Yes. Right? And like they bring up personal injury and then they bring up it's so many things that I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Well, not to mention that I think, you know, he sets stuff up. He closes on it. Uh, he doesn't over deliver and overstate anything. He's uh, uh, true to himself. He's not. Uh, pretending to be somebody that he's not, right? Yeah. He's uh, he's himself, and 
it carries the day ultimately. You know what was really funny when they kept holding him in contempt? <laughs> so, because uh, that doesn't really happen, right? Uh, like, how often does that happen? Well, it happened twice to me in one trial. No, no, it didn't. <laughs> Wait, in defense or defense? Uh, so, my strategy has completely done a one eighty as far as pissing off judges and juries from when I was a defense attorney to being a plaintiff. So how long were you held in contempt for? Uh, I mean, it was during the trial. I got held in criminal contempt and fined money. They didn't actually put handcuffs on me. Um, it was during, once was during jury selection and once was during my uh, closing argument. And so... What did you do? Well, so the issue in Chicago was that they would sometimes, uh, you know, they would have sub-circuit elections and they would appoint these judges or elect judges who really had no uh, background in trying cases. So uh, not to point out the judge or to name names or whatever. I'm sure she's a pleasant lady in her own personal life. But the judge I tried a case in front of in Chicago that held me in contempt had come from like the water department or something like that. So before she became a trial judge and assigned to a trial room, she was handling contracts and whatever else you handle as a lawyer for the, for the water department. And so I tried her first jury trial, maybe two, three months before she held me in contempt. And I did not hold her in as high regard as she believed I ought to hold her because she had no idea what she was doing and it was apparent to everybody. And then, so I was then a couple months later trying a case in front of her that was, you know, a case of, to us, some consequence. It was a potential, you know, over limits exposure case, et cetera. And so there is a very specific way in Illinois that you pick a jury. You know, you accept the jury in panels of four, whether backstriking is or isn't allowed. I mean, there's all these rules that go into it. And she really had no clue what she was doing. And I wanted to see the juror cards again to see, to make my decision or whatever it was as to who I was going to accept or strike. And she said, because I was taking too long or whatever else, she said, counsel, the next two words out of your mouth better be either I accept or I strike or I'm going to hold you in contempt. And so... But that seems kind of fucked up. It seems uh, completely unfair. I mean, it has a chilling effect on your ability to, to do your job. Plus, I am not averse to conflict when it comes to situations like that. And so I sort of relish that a little bit, or I did at the time, especially when I was younger. And so, you know, I said something like, well, you know, now I'm, now I'm, you're discombobulating me or whatever, because you're, you're, you're threatening me with, with contempt. I'm going to have to see the cards again. And so find me $2,000, $4,000, whatever it was. And who pays for that? Uh, eventually we, we appealed it. Um, and I th- I'm assuming my firm paid for it. Were they pissed? Uh, no, the firm was actually very supportive. Uh, they were very, very supportive of you whatever must have been the lawyers. Really young. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was probably maybe four years into practice, maybe three years. Um, but the firm was awesome. I mean, they definitely had my back. And so the second time was during the <laughs> same exact trial where. Same judge. Uh, same judge. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she it was did same not. trial. Same she, trial. Oh, same trial. She did not like you. She hated me. She probably me. thought she you were some, like, young, like... Yes, and so she, because I had tried that case in, in front of her a couple months before, her first jury trial where she was a complete neophyte and not good at her job, I think she remembered me. 
And so she mm. had it out for me, I think, during... She was projecting. During this trial, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Uh, and so when this airs, if it ever comes back, she can reach out to me. We can talk. She can apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not apologizing. <laughs> no, uh, she can apologize. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the, oh. the second time was during my closing argument. I was arguing whatever I was arguing. But, I mean, it's my case. I decide what's relevant or not. But she would make these sua sponte objections during my closing argument. The other attorney's just sitting there not objecting. He seems to be fine with whatever I'm saying. And she's making these objections. And so at some point I told her, you know, Judge, if uh, if you're going to make objections, can I rule on them? <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> it's so funny because you don't give me that vibe at all. Like you seem like so polite and like... I mean, now, I am, now you're sure. now you're. Yeah. It's probably also like age, like you were young and like quicker to. Yeah, like, I was. I was pretty pretty fiery when it cu- when it came to the judge overstepping their bounds because. But that's amazing. I can't believe you. Said well, the, that. the the weird thing though is that even four years in, I had already tried so many cases that to her I was a young kid, still wet behind the ears. But what she didn't know is that I had already tried probably forty cases or whatever at that point, right? Yeah. Um. And but that she didn't hold me in contempt for that. I think she admonished me. Maybe uh, you know had the jury go back in the jury room, yelled at me, whatever else. And then uh, we come back out uh, into the jury. I mean, into the courtroom. The jury's back in the box at this point, and I'm going back into whatever the rest of my closing argument is. But before I say it, whatever I'm going to talk about, I say. You know, ladies and gentlemen, they might be able to fool one person with this kind of stuff, crap, whatever I said, pointing at the judge. No, you didn't. But they can't fool the 12 of you. <laughs> and so that was, <laughs> boom, that was... I the, mean, you were also kind of that pushing was the, back. No, I was, but like I said, I was never one to shy away from conflict. Yeah. And from, honestly, from zealously representing my client, it wasn't necessarily a pissing match between me and the judge, although it kind of veered in that direction. But I was having fun. I was not as green as she thought I was, and so I was not afraid to push back. And I also knew that the firm would unquestionably have my back based on everything else that had you know, transpired in the past. It's funny because I'm the same way in terms of conflict. Like yeah. It's so hard for me to not engage. Yes. And I've gotten so much better at picking my fights as I've gotten older, but I've had to like literally work on it yes. because anything could just get me like so fired up try meditation that's what i do now really i do <laughs> yeah. yoga nidra oh nice which you know is... i listened to andrew huberman oh not to God. interrupt you yes, but yeah that's how i know about it i was yes. gonna say non-deep sleep yes. yet, but yeah. nobody knows what that is so i mean he has free content on like youtube yeah yeah oh i'm you probably don't know this but like i'm obsessed with huberman like i am going to manifest meeting him one day and i have lots of questions for him so i have uh i'm what I like about him is he's got that scientific yeah. look to everything. And so, you know, he's a visual science guy, ophthalmologist by trade or whatever. Yeah. And so what a lot of the stuff that he talks about is not on point directly, but very relevant to the shooting sports. And I think very relevant to obviously working out because he covers that in yes. spades. But relevant to trial work like cold exposure. Yep. I don't know if you do yes. any ice baths. So I've done an ice bath once before. And once we settle down wherever we're going to live or once we, like, figure out our lives, I'm 
gonna buy a sauna in a yes okay you're right talking now, my language now. yeah so right now i'm doing the cold showers yes and have you read his habit toolkit i have not but i mean i've listened to him enough where i think i know what you're about to say so no well i didn't know this because i've listened to him a ton but the other day i was going through his toolkits he has a habit one and he says to start six habits at once um and then he talks about what times you should try to do the habits so i and to shoot for four to six of those habits per day so one of my new habits is like trying to get some sort of cold or hot exposure yeah. once a day so and historically I, I do finish my like showers on cold but uh -huh. now i'm doing where it's like even just like no matter what i'm gonna do it and i'm doing sauna uh one, I am in a weekly battle with my wife about letting me take out the jacuzzi tub that in the eight years or whatever we've been in the house, she's used maybe twice, <laughs> and I've probably used it maybe twice. I want to rip it out and put in a cold plunge in the bathroom and then put a sauna in the garage. Well, once I build a garage, to have a garage gym and a sauna. Yeah. And the, to do that at night. I, w I just don't have room for inside the yeah. house for a sauna. But um, what you're saying like about the showers, it is, you know, there's two reasons for me anyway to do cold exposure. One is your ability to control your own mind mm -hmm. and to sort of with breath work to be able to control your stress level and to bring it down. That I don't know that you necessarily need a super, super cold, cold plunge. And so in New Orleans during the winter months, when the temperatures are, let's say, in the 40s, 50s. Well, here right now, the cold a, showers are a, painful as hell. Yeah, I took a cold shower this morning in the hotel. Yeah, it's uh, cold. But it's awesome. And according to Huberman, you only need to do it like two to three minutes a day for a total of like 12 minutes a, a week to get the efficacy of same as, you know, sitting on a cold punch for an hour or whatever. B before I started listening to Huberman, I went to a tactical games competition in Texas. And I'll never forget it because I had the Airbnb, whatever me and a bunch of the other competitors rented, had a really nice tub adjoining the room where I was staying. And so I got bags of ice. And after like a, a day one or day two of the competition, I filled up the tub with ice, filled it up with cold water. And I thought, man, this is going to be awesome because I'm going to be recovered like a beast for the next day. And so eight, nine o'clock at night, whatever, I was trying to go to bed early, I got in the ice tub i sat in it for i don't know about maybe 20 25 minutes i got out thinking this is gonna be great for my joints great for my inflammation i'm gonna have no muscle soreness the next day and all that happened is i could not get to sleep yeah i um, shivered i literally shivered under yep. blankets all night long you're not supposed to ever do yeah. cold at night yeah but you can do hot yeah hot i mean a sauna makes me sleep like a baby it's, yeah, well, it's awesome it's like the whole thing of like you take a warm shower and then like, mm -hmm. you're like oh i feel like i like slept better but you're like how oh, there's no way that's so stupid yeah. and it like you think it's all in your head and i'm like oh wow like yeah. that was not in my head so I emailed Huberman to see if he would speak at a legal conference, and they told me to go after myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, awesome. the conference, it was, it's Lottie Girl. Lottie Girl was like, yeah, go ahead, email them. Let's see if uh -huh. we can get him. It was like our dream, right? Or yeah. Their dream. Like, we were like, we want this person. Like, your dream and maybe my dream alone. I don't know that anybody else would No, no, care. they did. They did. Because they want to also have, like, a health focus. Ah, okay. So Bob yeah. Simon was like, in the email, he was like, 
this would be the dream or something like yeah. that. I don't know how he phrased yeah. it. And I was like, well, it's definitely my dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do think that lawyers in general are terrible about taking care of themselves and oh. having longevity. Absolutely. I mean, I my biggest thing is sleep. Okay. So sleep is like, I get eight hours on average. And I'm like you. religious about it. I hate you. Yeah. But it's like, I, I mean, I put a lot of work into it. Like I get the kids to bed and I'm like, I listen to Huberman. I fall asleep listening to Huberman. So my, as far as putting kids to bed, my problem is that if I'm putting them down, they will always want me to lay down with them for a little bit, right? Oh, I don't mean I, I do it. I just mean it's bedtime. Like they oh, go off to bed. Got it. Got and it. Then, okay. Although my husband will lay with my daughter. So I have, you know, I have a, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and almost three-year-old. And so if I put them down, you know, I'm in a cold room, dark room with you them. You fall asleep now? I will lay down with them and I will fall asleep. Yeah, that used to happen to me. And it kills my sleep drive. So then I get up, I go back downstairs, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm no awake. longer sleepy. I'm, I'm wide awake. And then I do go to bed and then I have trouble falling asleep. Yeah, um, no, you can't do that. Yeah, but I think like like a lot of people, you know, I have less trouble falling asleep than I do staying asleep. Thoughts, intrusive thoughts at night that wake you up. So I think for me, it varies on my stress load. Like if I have deadlines or crap I didn't finish or accomplish during the day that needs to be finished, I will go to bed, fine. But at 2, 30, 3 o'clock in the morning, I will wake up thinking about that stupid shit so that I was just... So do yoga nidra. Okay. That's what he... That's oh, what he to remember, fall back asleep, That's saying. what he okay. does himself. I don't have that Got issue. It, okay. it happens to me every now and then, but it's okay. rare. And every time I'm like, next time I'm going to do yoga nidra, because I just... If it happens mm-hmm. to me, I just don't go back to sleep till like six. Okay. And then I wake up at seven. So it's like... Okay. But he says that what he does, because that was a big issue for him, is mm-hmm. he does yoga nidra. Okay. See, I guess I, I need to do that. I don't want to expose myself to... Uh, blue light at night and it's like the Yoganidra scripts are on YouTube I know but thank you so much for coming on this was fun it was a ton of fun yes. thanks for having me no, I appreciate it thank you so much to Shemek Lubecki for everything he shared today if you found this story valuable please share it with someone you want to see succeed and subscribe so you never miss an episode mm-hmm.